This podcast explores the commonality between our DMB brothers and sisters to demonstrate the true strength and depth of our family. We have all shared the soundtrack in our best and worst moments, and with that fact, we argue that we're never truly alone when the music is playing. So sit back, relax, and welcome to the best of what's around. Welcome to DMB On Demand. Hey friends, Bridget again, B-R-I-H-A-L 4457 on Twitter, back with another episode of DMB History, this time 2011 and 2012. In 2011, as Dave Matthews Band celebrated its 20th anniversary, the band members decided to shake things up and try something new. Although the group had previously announced they would be taking the year off from touring, they couldn't resist playing a few shows together. So the Dave Matthews Band Caravan was conceived. A series of three-day festivals featuring a diverse array of musical talent performing during the day in full sets by DMB each evening. The traveling festival hit four cities. Atlantic City, Chicago, New York City, and George, Washington. There were two live releases from the Dave Matthews Band Caravan outing. Live in Atlantic City and Live on Lakeside. The band also released Volume 20 of the live track series plus Live at Wrigley Field and downloads of three additional concerts. Dave and Tim played several shows, including their first acoustic concert in the band's hometown of Charlottesville, Virginia, since 1994. Proceeds from that evening in a New York City show followed Matthew's new model for benefit concerts, which allowed ticket buyers to decide which charities would give, would receive the proceeds through the JustGive.org online donation platform. In January 2012, Dave Matthews' band reunited with producer Steve Lillywhite who had produced the group's first three studio albums and began work on a new record. Tim Reynolds, Jeff Coffin, and Rashawn Ross joined them in the studio. The group debuted many of the new songs during an extensive summer run, DMB's first tour since 2010. Away From the World was released on September 11, 2012, and the band celebrated with a show at the Hollywood Bowl the following evening. Rolling Stone praised it as the band's strongest album in years. Mercy, the first single, was a number one hit at AAA Radio, and the video featured contributions from 14,334 fans. The live track series continued with Volume 21 and 22, bowing in 2012. DMB was featured on Jack Johnson and Friends, Best of Kakua Festival, and contributed a track to, uh, to Chimes of Freedom, the songs of Bob Dylan honoring 50 years of Amnesty International. Thanks, guys. Hey friends, Bridget again, B-R-I-H-A-L 4457 on Twitter, back with another episode of DMB History, this time 2011 and 2012. In 2011, as Dave Matthews Band celebrated its 20th anniversary, the band members decided to shake things up and try something new. Although the group had previously announced they would be taking the year off from touring, they couldn't resist playing a few shows together. So the Dave Matthews Band Caravan was conceived. A series of three-day festivals featuring a diverse array of musical talent performing during the day in full sets by DMB each evening. The traveling festival hit four cities, Atlantic City, Chicago, New York City, and George, Washington. There were two live releases from the Dave Matthews Band Caravan outing, live in Atlantic City and live on Lakeside. The band also released volume 20 of the live track series plus live at Wrigley Field and downloads of three additional concerts. Dave and Tim played several shows, including their first acoustic concert in the band's hometown of Charlottesville, Virginia, since 1994. Proceeds from that evening in a New York City show followed Matthew's new model for benefit concerts, which allowed ticket buyers to decide which charities would give, would receive the proceeds through the JustGive.org online donation platform. In January 2012, Dave Matthews Band reunited with producer Steve Lillywhite, who had produced the group's first three studio albums and began work on a new record. Tim Reynolds, Jeff Coffin, and Rashawn Ross joined them in the studio. The group debuted many of the new songs during an extensive summer run, DMB's first tour since 2010. Away From the World was released on September 11, 2012, and the band celebrated with a show at the Hollywood Bowl the following evening. Rolling Stone praised it as the band's strongest album in years. 
Mercy, the first single, was a number one hit at AAA Radio and the video featured contributions from 14,334 fans. The live track series continued with volume 21 and 22, bowing in 2012. DMB was featured on Jack Johnson and Friends, Best of Kakua Festival, and contributed a track to, uh, to Chimes of Freedom. The songs of Bob Dylan honoring 50 years of Amnesty International. Thanks, guys. Folks, our guest today is uh, Teresa Whitaker. Truth be told, this is the second time I'm talking to Teresa. Uh, something got lost in the mix the first time we recorded the audio for this interview, so we're doing it a second time. Uh, there's been a few changes to the questions. Um, as you well know, for season two, we've thinned it down a little bit to try to keep the episodes at around 60 minutes per. With all the different segments we have, we just decided to thin out a few of the questions uh, for the podcast itself. We're going to let Teresa come on, and before we get into any questions, Teresa, can you just kind of round you out as to who you are as a person, your interests, hobbies, what you do for a living, what home is like? Just round yourself out. Well, I am a bone marrow transplant nurse in Cleveland. I am a mom. I have twin boys who are about to be 13, and my younger daughter who is about to turn nine on Saturday. Um, we like traveling, camping, kayaking. Uh, I do like to take the kids geocaching when I can. Uh, I'm a big movie geek. I like reading. Um, right now the kids are at home doing uh, online learning for the quarter to see how the school goes before they physically go back. Um, I've been married to my husband 15 years, together for 23. Uh, we've known each other since teenagers. Uh, I've been to the Gorge four times, uh, three times with my girlfriends and once with my husband. And I'm a big sports geek. Um, I used to play volleyball and softball in high school and a little bit beyond that. Other than that, that's probably all of me. <laughs> all right. I have a question for you um, about the Gorge. So I went to my first show in 2019, and my first show, DMB show, was actually Three Nights of the Gorge. Believe it or not, I've never been to a show. I've been a fan, have all this stuff going, but never been to a show for one reason or another. And so going to the Gorge for the first time was just an amazing experience. I had trouble putting it into words, but going to the gorge that is what started this podcast because i saw all these people and i wanted to know their stories i wanted to know what brought them to the music how did the music find them what's the music done to them because it's led them here and so there must be something behind that um, but my question for you is this having you having been four times when i crested that hill the first night it took my breath away when i crested the hill the second night it took my breath away and when I crested it the third night, it took my breath away. Having been there four times, does that ever go away? Or is that something you experience every time you crest that hill? Um, it's something I experience every time I crest that hill. Um, I brought my friend Michelle from North Carolina last time. And she was just in awe. And it was I was real excited to see her reaction when she saw how gorgeous it was. And then she asked me a question about... You know, I travel a lot, so she asked me what place would you feel like you feel like you belong most or that's home. And I would say New Orleans used to be the answer until I went to the Gorge. Now I feel like the Gorge is kind of like home, oh, <laughs> home away from home. That's fantastic. So we're going to jump right into the interview with the DMB questions. And the first question I have is twofold. Uh, first question is, um, how long ago did you get into DMB? Like, what year was it that you started listening to the music? And, and I don't mean like hearing it on the radio. I mean, 
when you finally started to to latch on to it and was there any particular song that first grabbed you and and got your attention and made you start following the band i knew of dave matthews band and um i probably didn't get into it until crash came out which i fell in love with that song and i know everybody's gonna give me crap for that but uh i used to listen to it i still do now and think what woman wouldn't want a man to feel that way about her the way he's singing that song um and then i got more into them around 1998 my friend debbie was real big into dave and that's when i started listening even more and more to the words and um, my younger sister had died in a car accident the year before and i started finding some healing with his music Uh, with the car crash, have you, I'm sure you have, but I'll ask regardless, have you uh, really sat down and listened to So Damn Lucky? Because the lyrics of that, okay, I, I figured you had, I, fig <laughs> I figured it's such, but just in case, all right. Um, there's not much more that needs to be said about that then. If you've, if you've listened to that song, there's nothing I can tell you about it. Um, so, uh, all right. Do you have any current favorite DMB songs? Anything that you're listening to now that you could put on repeat and be just fine? Uh, just this year when he was at home playing, I think it was the first time he was playing at home, a show for his fans, and he sang the song Singing from the Windows uh, with all the stuff that was going on around the world. I was always really touched by seeing the people in Italy who were already in quarantine and locked in their homes singing to each other and people in Spain doing that, going out on their terraces and singing to each other. I thought that was still a way to connect with the rest of the world during this time. And do you have a favorite lyric? I don't mean favorite as of now, I mean all time. Do you have a lyric that stuck with you over the years? Um, it's from Drunken Soldier, Shine Your Light While You Got One. Uh, my younger sister had died and she was just this huge sunshine of a person at 17 and it affected a lot of people when she died because she was such a good friend, somebody that people would always go to with their problems. Uh, and I think she was a real big sunlight that was put out too soon. And well, while she was here, she really did live her life. Okay. So there's kind of like this leveling when it comes to DMB. Uh, for me, it started at the base level, which was, I don't like this band because all I heard was Satellite and Crash over and over again as a kid on the radio, and it just it, it, it wasn't my thing. I didn't appreciate what was going on. I, I couldn't sit down and hear that all these musicians were coming together and making this sound. But anyway, that's, that's the level I started at. And then you warm up to the band a little bit. You hear them on the radio. Maybe somebody plays a little bit for you. And then you start to get into them, and then there's that song that latches onto you like you just talked about. And then the next step for me is becoming aware of the community with the band, the DMB family. Uh, when I, there was a very specific reason that I was, my eyes were open to the community and it brought me into it. And to me, the DMB community is just as amazing as the music is itself. So my question is, do you have any uh, event or person or anything that kind of led you to that threshold where you love the music, but then all of a sudden, whoa, you see this community and you want to be a part of it and you want to learn more about it. I think it was my friend Debbie who loved him so much and I just really started to listen to him more. And then I would be going to the shows and just would fall in love with all the people there and their excitement and just having a good time and people weren't fighting or 
there wasn't drama there. <laughs> like some shows I've been to, the people were just looking out for each other and enjoying each other. Okay. Kind of a random question here, but if you could send one song, just one song, to every cell phone on Earth and have people listen to it, what DMB song would you give a gift to everybody to listen to and why? Yeah, this one hard because there's quite a few I think I would send. Uh, for the period and time that we're in this year alone, I think I would lean towards Cry Freedom. Um, I mean, singing from the windows is great, but Cry Freedom right now, I think, is something we should all probably listen to. The meaning of the words, um, you know, how we're all alike at the core of who human being. Okay. Yeah. In your opinion, what is the overall message that the music of the Dave Matthews band puts out there? What's what's the main headline of, of what they're trying to say to the world through the music? I think Dave's, one of his main messages is, you know, just spending your time here on earth, doing good, enjoying what you have, um, living life to its fullest because we don't have a long time here to be here um, and kind of be that thing of good in the world that people can take an example from. That's a good answer. I haven't really thought about it like that, to be honest. It's pretty neat. Um, all right, so this one might be a little difficult. I'll try to break it down first. So if somebody were to hear the songs number 27 and Bartender, and if they heard those songs and really got to know them and got to understand them, then for the most part, they would understand me. I can find myself and my life story in those two particular songs. They, they relate the most. There's commonality with the music in my life. I want you to pick two songs that are the same way. If somebody were to listen to these two songs and really get to, to hear them, they would, you know, essentially be your songs and they would know you a little bit. So what two songs kind of best sum up who you are? I would say the first song would be Sister. Um, I have two sisters and an older brother, but... Losing my youngest sister when she was 17 was probably the hardest thing I've ever went through. Uh, she had been in a car accident. And just the suddenness of her being gone, taken away from us so quickly, not really getting to say goodbye the way you would have wanted to. So it kind of, I was happy to have my moments with her and the memories I have with her. And then the second one, it's hard. I would say, and a lot of people I think would say Gray Street when I first heard Dave sing it. I felt like he had been me or had some sort of look into my mind, which was real weird for me. Um, and no, it was just perfect and I felt like all those things that he starts screaming at the end of the world or at the end of the song and uh, yeah I think that sums it up for me <laughs> one thing we do um, in our interview here is we try to cover the highs and lows we talk about somebody's higher better moments in life and some of the, the tougher moments in life because when I was at the Gorge, that was kind of what I wanted to know is I wanted to look at uh, talk to all these people and find out, you know, what did the music do for you in your best moments? And maybe more importantly, what did it do for you in your worst moments? Because we can find some commonality there in the music. And I think that's pretty neat and worth exploring. So 
typically we start with the most negative experience and what song um, sort of helped that situation or gave it context when looking back. But I'm going to assume that this has already been um, discussed with your sister and the song sister. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. Okay, so we're going to skip over that question and go right to the, the high end. I want you to pick a day in your life or a time in your life that was really good, just those high note days. And tell me if there was a, tell me about the situation and tell me if there's a DMV song that either was relevant to the situation or when you listen to it later, it gives you context about that situation. Mine would be Samurai Cop. Um, it's when I became a mom, I was pregnant with the twin. And actually we had a hard time getting pregnant to begin with. And we had to go to a fertility specialist and do IVF. And we did end up with twins and the pregnancy was really, really hard. They tried to come out into the world at 27 weeks and they had to stop my labor. And I ended up staying in the hospital for a month to try and keep them in. And they came early at 32 weeks. And it was, it was probably, I mean, it was the happiest day of my life bringing not just one, but two lives into the world. And all the worry, you know, for the several weeks after when they were still in the hospital because they were so little, but just the idea that I was a mom now and I had two little lives to take care of. Uh, I love hearing that song. I do bring one of my twins to the Dave shows with he's, his fifth would have been this summer in Pittsburgh, um, but because of coronavirus, we didn't go. And the few times that we did hear that song live, he, now that he's almost 13, gets a little embarrassed because I'll give him a big hug when it comes on. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like, oh, God, Mom. At first, I think he liked it because he was a little bit younger, but now he's right. like getting to that age, like, please don't do that to me. That has to make you want to do it more. It has to. <laughs> it, oh, it's worth. And then I turn it on even more. I'm like, but you're my baby. <laughs> right, right. All right. Um, if you were able to sit down with a band for a minute or two and tell them something, what, what would you tell them? Uh, that their music has affected every corner of my life from the low period to the extreme highs. That when I come home from work and I'm driving home, that I'm blasting them as loud as I can and I'm singing and dancing in my car to you know get rid of the work block so I can get home to my family and be kind of happy mom <laughs> and uh that a lot of their songs have lots of memories for me whether it's traveling with my girlfriends or my husband or my kids they kind of have a song for everything in my life and I so much thank them for that Okay, well, I think that's it. We went through our list of questions. I had a few new ones that weren't in there before, so you did really well handling the curveball questions. Um, is there anything at the end we like to let our, our guests that come on just kind of have a minute or two to speak on anything uh, that they want the DMB family to know more about? So sometimes it's, you know, where to find them on social media or a charity or organization that's dear to their heart, anything like that. So you have the floor for a minute or two and just speak on anything you'd like. Right now with the climate we have, the elections that are about to happen, the world is literally on fire, especially out west. <laughs> um, hurricanes to the south of me. I just really think it's important to exercise your right to vote. Um, for me personally, I feel like we definitely need a change in this country, so I will be voting. Agreed. I do know, yeah, I do know that there's early voting in a lot of states where you could go in person when there's less people 
I plan on voting on my birthday, which is October 12th, um, to go in early and do it in person. Uh, my mom sending hers in. It's real important right now. I think it's time that people take a more responsibility for what's going on in the world. It frustrates when the younger kids that I work with tell me that, uh, why should I vote? It doesn't affect me. It's going to. Maybe you didn't think it did, but it's going to. Or your kids. It's going to affect your kids. <laughs> um, charities that I do love, I'm a bone marrow transplant nurse, so I do love the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We try and raise money for them every year as a floor, and my husband was actually a team and training coach a few times where he coached people to run marathons for the team and training and he would help them with raising money ideas and he's done it himself um, by running. I am on social media. I'm on all the social media. Uh, Instagram I usually save for pictures of my family life and things that I'm up to. And then on Twitter I get a little too political on but I can't help it. I agree. <laughs> um, and Facebook is just a bunch of everything. No, oh, I think that's it for right now. Okay, and uh, let me just reinforce this notion of voting because I've voted at every election that I've been able to, and there were times where I thought, does it even matter? Like, does it even matter at all? Let me tell you something. If you felt the same way at the last election or the one before that, let me promise you, your vote matters this time. It absolutely matters. Register and show up to vote or do the mail-in if your state's doing the mail-in, but don't let it go. Please, please, please vote this fall however you can. Um, it's amazingly important. And uh, I just wanted to kind of reinforce that that statement and that line of thought there. It's it's vital this time. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for coming on today, Teresa. And uh, thanks for being patient with me and recording this a second time since oh, I no lost problem. it. Yeah. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Hey, before we go, I wanted to say, going back to your favorite lyric, uh, just so happened that I posted something this morning. When you get off of here, go to Twitter and look mm -hmm. at look at the top post and just see what it is. And uh, it, it, right. it was purely coincidence, but you'll you'll like what you see. <laughs> All right. So thanks again for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Stay safe. You too. Welcome to The Way I Heard It. This is a segment for you, the listener. Each episode, I reach out to a handful of listeners to ask them about a specific song and what it means to them and how they apply the message of that song in their own life. Some will make you laugh, others may make you cry with empathy, but each one is straight from the heart. So let's get right into this week's edition of The Way I Heard It. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Bob Fusen, and I'm here to talk to you about why Ants Marching is the quintessential Dave Matthews Band song. I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to expound upon a song that changed my life in many, many ways. And if you want to hear more about that, you should check out the episode that I guested on. Ants Marching is played at over half of Dave Matthews Band shows, according to DMB Almanac. It is the song, I think, that captures the essence of what the band is about for a lot of reasons. And I might go a little deep down the rabbit hole on Leroy Moore's contributions, not only to the song, but to, to music and how his uh, contributions to American music are all encapsulated in this one song. First off, let's talk about how the song is set up and how it showcases what makes DMB so special. 
obviously, first off, the, the drumming of Carter Beaufort. Uh, it's outstanding in every version. What's interesting about the song and the way it starts with the snare drum hits is those snare drum hits come on beat two and four. And if you're musically inclined, you know that two and four is what you're supposed to clap on when you're in a concert. This is a very interesting way to set up a song because in American music, beats two and four are really, really important. We call it the backbeat. And the backbeat is something that we get from early jazz and early blues music, and it's what makes American music so rhythmically propulsive, gives it that energy, makes you want to get up and dance. And right off the bat, we get this two and four. It's a very clear... Uh, indication of, of what's to come, that something is going to groove with a very simple just laying out those two beats. One of the things about Carter that is so amazing is how he is able to seamlessly blend jazz fusion drumming and rock drumming. In rock drumming, it's really the snare and the bass drum that give a lot of the energy, and in jazz, it's the hi-hat and the ride cymbal. And Carter is able to combine those two elements of keeping time in a way that's so extraordinary. Um, throughout a lot of their songs, and particularly Ants Marching, we get that snare drum on two and four, and that's our rock backbeat. But everything around it is open for interpretation. What's going on in the hi-hat, what's going on in the toms, what's going on in the cymbals, just unreal. Secondly, the fiddling of Boyd Tinsley. One of the things that drew me into DMB was how they managed to merge all these different kinds of American music together. Rock, jazz, funk, R&B, country, bluegrass. And the fiddling definitely gives it that kind of bluegrass feel just because of the timbre of the instrument, because of how it sounds. And it's such a, a high-energy piece when he plays that. The mixture of violin with the saxophone, really something extraordinary in terms of sound. They blend so well together. So we get a little bit of that bluegrass energy from Boyd. Next is Stefan's bass playing. Uh, in a lot of the song, he's mirroring what Dave is doing on the guitar, but at the same time, he's picking up all of the little things that that Carter is doing on the bass drum. That's that's one of the things um, that that really locks in a rhythm section between bass and drums is that connection between the bass drum and the bass player. And his lines in the song are just so clear and so clean. Uh, the guitar playing and the lyrics from Dave. I mean, it, it really is poetry. I, I remember my friends and I used to used to sit around for so long and wonder what in the hell lights down you up and die means. It's 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 such a, a, a perfect encapsulation of that time. It's such a perfect thing of that early 90s culture where things were a little bit oddball, a little bit quirky, a little bit open-ended and up for discussion. And the, the, the lyrics really just bring forward a lot of different kind of memories that we can... Um, that we can relate to, and then a lot of open-ended questions, which is kind of typical of his lyrics in general. So it's it's a very typical song from Dave lyrically. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about my man, Leroy, and the, the things that he does on this song. Uh, I'm going to go a little deeper on what Leroy does. My, my contention is, first off, is that Leroy wrote the riff that we all know from Ants Marching, that, that saxophone-violin riff. Uh, it just... Uh, it just speaks to his economy of sound, how simple it is. Um, I won't go too far down the music theory rabbit hole, but there's a relationship between the notes and the chords that are involved that's very circular. And a lot of DMB's music has a lot of that circular chord progression or circular rhythmic thing to it. Proudest Monkey is a good example. It's kind of based on an African circular rhythm. Um, in, in popular music, especially in rock, the saxophone comes in two varieties. One is the riffing saxophonist. If you think of a song like uh, Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley and the Comets, that's a riffing saxophonist. Uh, this is something that rock and roll took from the, the Kansas City jump bands and blues bands. And a riffing saxophonist comes up with a line, a repetitive rhythmic line, the riff, uh, that happens throughout the song. And it gives a lot of energy, something for the listener to anchor to. Occasionally, a riffing saxophonist would be called on to perform what was called a dirty solo. And a good example of that is Tequila by The Champs. Everybody knows that song, and so the saxophone solo in that, it's really growly and, and dirty, and that's what that is. 
The second kind of saxophonist in rock and popular music is the hired gun. This is a name saxophonist, someone with, um, with appeal that jumps in to provide an improvised solo. So uh, good examples of this are Sonny Rollins, he recorded with the Rolling Stones. Uh, Stan Getz, the great jazz tenor saxophonist, actually recorded a song with Huey Lewis in the news in the 80s. Uh, the, the kind of uh, quintessential hired gun is a guy named Michael Brecker, who played with Paul Simon for years. And the, the kind of best constructed pop solo, saxophone pop solo, I think is, um, is the work that he did on still crazy after all these years um it's it's really the the pop solo now after those two we do have a few saxophonists that kind of come through and change the genre a little bit the first off is clarence clemens with bruce springsteen uh clarence really did the old style of tenor playing that riffing and dirty solo thing but updated um, um, for the for the 70s and 80s. And then the other is Branford Marsalis with Sting. And what Branford did with Sting was very close to what Leroy was doing in DMB. It was a huge influence on him. And in Ants Marching, we see Leroy basically combining these two styles and reimagining what the saxophone does in popular music. We have the riff that we all know. We have moments of improvisation. We have call and response between Boyd and Leroy on violin and sax. Call and response is a huge part of the jazz tradition. Uh, it goes all the way back to the field songs of slaves. There would be a, a, a primary singer who would sing and then everyone else in the field would respond to that call. And it was a way that they communicated with each other so that their owners didn't know what they were talking about. And this was adapted into jazz call and response between soloists and ensembles. And we see it here in Dave Matthews Band. So here's a foot in the jazz tradition. Uh, we have some brilliant, brilliant playing that draws from the bebop tradition from Leroy. So he's improvising. He's doing these things that Sting did, but he also has the riff, this, this repetitive rhythmic thing that really drives it all home. So he's reimagined what the saxophone can do in popular music just in one song, just in one song. Um, Ants Marching is one of those tunes that really I just I can't get enough of because it has so many of these extra elements to it. Um, some of my favorite versions, obviously the studio version is the one that I fell in love with, but my favorite version is from the single disc. So back in the 90s, you could get singles on CD and they were often sent to radio stations. Um, and one I managed to get a hold of after searching for many, many years was the Ants Marching single, which had the studio version, but it also had a version from Lupo's in Rhode Island. This was a version that was played on DC 101 out of Washington, DC when I was in high school. Nine times out of 10, if they played Ants, they played this live version, and I searched for years to find it. It's just, just killer, and if you happen to stumble across a copy, definitely check it out. The mix is excellent. You can hear Stefan so clearly. The drums are amazing. Uh, it's, it's just a really incredible version. One of the other things I like about that version is that in the playing from Leroy, you hear some really clear bebop lines, some really clear Charlie Parker influence over top of these kind of repetitive chordal progressions. It's a really interesting look at how jazz is the language of improvisation and Leroy is using it in this this alternative rock band while he's doing this call and response with a a, a country bluegrass uh, fiddler and it's it's really just amazing I mean these are styles that you wouldn't think would mix but they're a lot closer than than you think so the Lupo's version from that CD single I'm I'm particularly fond of Another version that's excellent is the one from Leroy's last show on Live Tracks 14. Uh, I'm so thrilled that they played Ants Marching at his last show. And for me, it's a little bit of, um, I guess you could say, the universe uh, kind of tying up loose ends because uh, that stage where he last performed with DMB, that's the same stage where I first saw them live at Farm Aid 99 for the first time. Another show where they also played Ants, so I'm partial to that version as well. But the reason I'm partial to the last one, not just because it's the last one with Leroy, but there's a beautiful Tim Reynolds guitar line right before the song kicks in full force that just seems like the appropriate send-off to, to a titan like Leroy Moore. Uh, and, and if you've heard it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
uh, I think Ants Marching is one of those songs that's timeless. Uh, it's the song I think that most quintessentially shows all of the different elements of Dave Matthews Band uh, in full force. You know, there are some tunes that really show Boyd's abilities and some that really show Carter. Well, all of them really show Carter's, but you know, a song like Drive In, Drive Out, that's a Carter tune. This is a song that, that really just showcases everybody and, and all of the uniqueness and eccentricities and idiosyncrasies of their musicianship come full force in Ants Marching. Um, I think Carter has called it their national anthem, so it, it, it is the DMB song, there's no doubt about it. it. It is the song I think that they'll be remembered for for all time. It's uh, it's their stairway to heaven. It's their fifth symphony. It's their West End blues. That's the quintessential Dave Matthews band song. And uh, I really appreciate getting the time to, to talk about it because it is a song that, that really changed my life in, in so many ways. The, the beautiful, round, gorgeous sound of Leroy Moore on that soprano saxophone, which is an instrument that I absolutely love. Um, just just an amazing uh, piece of songwriting and contemporary improvisation. Not to mention, it has so many opportunities for the audience to be involved. You know, it's it's one thing to write a piece of music that has a lot of really great musical elements, but one of the things we sometimes miss as songwriters and musicians is that question of, does it sound good? You know, maybe a piece of music has all of the elements you want. It's in the right form and has the right chords, but but does it sound good? And and Ants has all those things just cranked up to 11 and it sounds good and and it makes you feel good and it gets the audience involved. Um, I'll, I'll relay a, a story I told on my episode of the podcast about how much uh, Ants marching means to me. Uh, when I'm on a plane, if the plane experiences turbulence, I put on Ants, just in case. Just in case. Um, you know, it's definitely the song, if I had a choice, uh, that I would listen to last before uh, before leaving this plane of existence. I mean, it, it, it really just struck me emotionally from the beginning. And then when I was able later in life to study it uh, as a professional musician and pick it apart a little bit, um, it completely holds up. Uh, it really does. It's 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 the essential Dave Matthews Band song. Um, I think it's a vastly different band without that song, and I think it's a vastly different song without the contributions of Leroy Moore. Obviously, uh, the, the the simplistic riff, just the the beauty of its simplicity. That's that's Leroy in a nutshell. He just had a knack for playing the right thing at the right time, um, and I haven't confirmed it yet. Uh, I'm trying to, but but my guess is that. Uh, he wrote that riff. He came up with that that riff that we all know and love. Um, just an absolutely breathtaking song, and and I love it, and I always will. Uh, it's been my favorite song, and will be my favorite song for a long time. Hi, I'm Mary Jane Gary, Janie Gary Two. This is Sam Gary, S.C. Gary 78. And today we're going to be talking about Where Are You Going? Um, I wanted to do this song because it was the last song that we played uh, at our wedding. Right. That's why I kind of, that's why I wanted to do it too, just because we did pick that song to be our last, last um, dance at the wedding or kind of our walking Actually, out. our last song was supposed to be the dance by Garth Brooks and in the middle of the reception you ran to the DJ and changed it <coughs> oh yeah to where are you going okay that was better than that was better than the dance well the dance is a great song in its own right but anyway um so the first verse is where are you going with your long face pulling down don't hide away like an ocean that you can't see but you can smell and the sound of waves crash down I'm no Superman. I have no reasons for you. I'm no hero. All that for sure. But I do know one thing. That's where you are is where I belong. I do know where you go is where I want to be. So, your thoughts. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, I don't know. I just, whenever I hear that part, I just always... 
you know, I just think it's start the start of like a love song. That's how I've always heard it. That he's he's just saying, you know, it doesn't matter what happens, you know. Yeah. But but I want to be with you. Right. Well, um, I kind of think like when he's saying, you know, with your long face pulling down, like he sees this person that's sad and he wants to be part of their life and go with them wherever they're going, you know, to make their day better, their world better. Maybe I've never thought about it that way. You know, maybe it's, that's kind of how I interpret that, but. I don't know. I guess I think it's a love song because it was played at our wedding. <laughs> well, true. Um. Yeah, of course, you know. You know, it's the... I do know where you go is where I want to be. You know, that's... So, yeah, a love song. So, he, he wants to be with this person and, and, you know, make her happy and be there to support her. Where are you going... Where do you go? Are you looking for answers to questions under the stars? Well, if along the way you are grown weary, you can rest with me until a brighter day when you're okay. Right. Um, That's like telling me that to me, it's like he's going to be there for her to support her through thick and thin. Um, And that... He's just going to be there or be your rock, you know? Yeah. You know, when, especially, are you looking for answers to questions under the stars? You know, he's, it's almost like he's saying, what's wrong? You know, why are you running away? I'm, I'm right here. I can, I can be there for you. Um, you know, until everything's better. Right. No, I think that that's what marriage is supposed to be like. Marriage, relationship, whatever. Yeah, you don't have friendship. To be, could be friendship, but could not be friendship. Could be, you know, like we we're sa- like you said, a love song. Could be about his wife. Could be about when they were not married yet. Who knows? But I think more more than just I don't know. I think because we're married, sometimes I tend to see things that way. But sure, looking at it from a different perspective. Like my friend at work, you know, only one of us is allowed to have a bad day at a time. So when we call each other, whoever starts yelling first is the one that gets to have the bad day. The other one has to be there for them. So, right. um, and then, you know, when that person's okay, then the other one gets to have their meltdown. It's their turn, right. Uh, I'm no Superman. I have no answers for you. I'm no hero. And that's for sure. But I know one thing. It's really hard not to sing it. Right. (laughs) That's where you are is where I belong. I do know where you go is where I want to be. Um, He goes on, where are you you going? Where do you go? Where do you go? Where are you going? Where do you go? Um, You know, I don't have any answers for you means that, you know, I don't know everything. But... Maybe we can go together and figure it out. Um, I'm no hero. I'm no Superman, but I'll be there to help along the way, you know, help you, help you through whatever it is that you're going through. Even Um, though he doesn't have the answers. Even though he doesn't have the answers, but maybe they can work it out together type thing. Well, and I think if you think about just life in general, you know, we work in two very different industries and I know it's like I said today that I felt like Alexander with my horrible, no good, very bad day. I can vent to you knowing that you are not, you don't have the answer to the problem that I deal with in my job. Just like I don't have the answers to the problems you deal with in your job, but when you've had a horrible day and you just need to vent, what you need from me is for me just to be there, to just listen. Yeah, for sure. And tell you that we'll get through it. I'm not always so good at that. I, I'm a fixer. I like <clears throat> to solve the problem. 
Maybe maybe you should just start playing this song when you have a bad day, so I'll remember that I just need to listen. Sure. Uh, that. <laughs> no, you won't. You'll forget. <laughs> uh, I'm no Superman. I have no answers for you. I'm no hero. All that's for sure. But I do know one thing. That's where you are is where I belong. I do know where you go is where I want to be. Where are you going? Where do you go? And where are you going? Where? Let's go. Mm-hmm. I think that just, I mean, it, it's to me, it's, it's such a, it's such a simple song. It is. But, you know, I'm, and it's, it's not a new song. I've heard it. We've been married for nine million years. It came out in like 2002, I think. Well, that's before we got married. So. Well, right, but... Um, and I think it's one of those songs that... I know we played it for our wedding, but in years going on, it's just not one that... I think it's like they overplayed it on the radio, and so it's just not one that I I would go to, but now... Thank you, Sirius XM, for Dave Matthews' channel. <laughs> right. Uh, when it does come on, it's just one that you just kind of, you know all the words to it and you just start singing it. But then when you sit down and you think about what it actually means, it can mean so many different things depending on, like, I think I'm looking at it from the perspective of he's just there to, to listen because you had a bad day and I had a bad day and we both had to play that role at different points. Mm-hmm in the day but maybe if we hadn't had such a bad day today then maybe we would we would see it in a different perspective, perspective right well um you know and like you were saying when that song first hit the radio it was overplayed probably you know and i'm a dave fan but you can still overplay some things crash was overplayed <laughs> right um but you know circling back to that song after so long you know because honestly you know it was we got married in 05 we played it at our wedding and it was still you would still hear it from time to time you know on the radio or whatever but then it's not a song that I always stop down to listen to you know it's not one of my favorites but I like the song um so just hearing it kind of had me flashback to that blur of a wedding that we had (laughs) you know I just I and then when we were talking about what song to pick, I was like, yeah, let's do Where Are You Going? And then you're right, it's not a complicated song. It's it's pretty straightforward to me, I think, that you know, he's going to be there for this person no matter, you know, good days and bad. And they're going to figure it out and, and, and get through it together. Yeah, it's, it is. It's simple, but it's relatable to so many different things, you know, like we said, relationships, friendships. I learned honors algebra two on the fly tonight because I didn't have those answers, but our poor stressed out child needed me to figure it out. So, so on the fly, I figured it out. Um, but I don't know. I like I like that song. I'm glad we we did it. I hadn't really sat down and listened to it in depth in a long for a long time. Right. Well, that's what we think of. Where are you going? That was our thoughts on the way we heard it.